This is section one of Mark Twain's Journal Writings, volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Mark Twain's Journal Writings, volume two, by Mark Twain. Section one. A Curious Experience. Part one. Read by John Greenman. This is the story which the Major told me, as nearly as I can recall it. In the winter of 1862-3, I was commandant at Fort Trumbull, at New London, Connecticut. It may be our life there was not so brisk as life at the front. Still, it was brisk enough, in its way. One's brains didn't cake together there, for want of something to keep them stirring. For one thing, all the northern atmosphere at that time was thick with mysterious rumors, rumors to the effect that rebel spies were flitting everywhere, and getting ready to blow up our northern forts, burn our hotels, send infected clothing into our towns, and all that sort of thing. You remember it. All that had a tendency to keep us awake, and knock the traditional dullness out of our garrison life. Besides, ours was a recruiting station, which is the same as saying we didn't have any time to waste in dozing or dreaming or fooling around. Why, with all our watchfulness, fifty percent of a day's recruits would leak out of our hands and give us the slip the same night. The bounties were so prodigious that a recruit could pay a sentinel three or four hundred dollars to let him escape and still have enough of his bounty money left to constitute a fortune for a poor man. Yes, as I said before, our life was not drowsy. Well, one day I was in my quarters alone, doing some writing, when a pale, ragged lad of fourteen or fifteen entered, made a neat bow, and said, I believe recruits are received here. Yes. Will you please enlist me, sir? dear me no you are too young my boy and too small a disappointed look came into his face and quickly deepened into an expression of despondency he turned slowly away as if to go hesitated then faced me again and said in a tone which went to my heart i have no home not a friend in the world if you could only enlist me but of course the thing was out of the question and I said so as gently as I could. Then I told him to sit down by the stove and warm himself, and added, You shall have something to eat presently. You are hungry? He did not answer. He did not need to. The gratitude in his big soft eyes was more eloquent than any words could have been. He sat down by the stove, and I went on writing. Occasionally I took a furtive glance at him. I noticed that his clothes and shoes, although soiled and damaged, were of good style and material. This fact was suggestive. To this I added the facts that his voice was low and musical, his eyes deep and melancholy, his carriage and address gentlemanly. Evidently the poor chap was in trouble. As a result I was interested. However, I became absorbed in my work, by and by, and forgot all about the boy. I don't know how long this lasted, but at length I happened to look up. The boy's back was toward me, 
but his face was turned in such a way that i could see one of his cheeks and down that cheek a rill of noiseless tears was flowing god bless my soul i said to myself i forgot the poor rat was starving then i made amends for my brutality by saying to him come along my lad you shall dine with me i am alone to-day he gave me another of those grateful looks and a happy light broke in his face at the table he stood with his hands on his chair-back until i was seated then seated himself i took up my knife and fork and well i simply held them and kept still for the boy had inclined his head and was saying a silent grace a thousand hallowed memories of home and my childhood poured in upon me and i sighed to think how far i had drifted from religion and its balm for hurt minds its comfort and solace and support as our meal progressed i observed that young whitclow robert whitclow was his full name knew what to do with his napkin and well in a word i observed he was a boy of good breeding never mind the details he had a simple frankness too which won upon me we talked mainly about himself and i had no difficulty in getting his history out of him when he spoke of his having been born and reared in louisiana i warmed to him decidedly for i had spent some time down there i knew all the coast region of the mississippi and loved it and had not been long enough away from it for my interest in it to begin to pale the very names that fell from his lips sounded good to me so good that i steered the talk in directions that would bring them out baton rouge plaquemine donaldsonville sixty mile point bonnet carry uh, the stock landing carleton the steamship landing the steamboat landing norlands chapitula street the esplanade rue des bons enfants the st charles hotel the tivoli circle the shell road lake pontchartrain and it was particularly delightful to me to hear once more of the r e lee the natchez the eclipse the general quitman the duncan f kenner and other old familiar steamboats it was almost as good as being back there these names so vividly reproduced in my mind the looks of things they stood for briefly this was little wicklow's history when the war broke out he and his invalid aunt and his father were living near baton rouge on a great rich plantation which had been in the family for fifty years the father was a union man he was persecuted in all sorts of ways but clung to his principles at last one night masked men burned his mansion down and the family had to fly for their lives they were hunted from place to place and learned all there was to know about poverty hunger and distress the invalid aunt found relief at last misery and exposure killed her she died in an open field like a tramp the rain beating upon her and the thunder booming overhead not long afterwards the father was captured by an armed band and while the son begged and pleaded the victim was strung up before his face at this point a baleful light shone in the youth's eyes and he said with the manner of one who talks to himself if i cannot be enlisted no matter i shall find a way 
as soon as the father was pronounced dead the son was told that if he was not out of that region within twenty-four hours it would go hard with him that night he crept to the riverside and hid himself near a plantation landing by and by the duncan f kenner stopped there and he swam out and concealed himself in the yawl that was dragging at her stern before daylight the boat reached the stock landing and he slipped ashore he walked the three miles that lay between that point and the house of an uncle of his in good children street in new orleans and then his troubles were over for the time being but his uncle was a union man too and before very long he concluded that he had better leave the south so he and young wicklow slipped out of the country on board a sailing vessel and in due time reached new york they put up at the astor house young wicklow had a good time of it for a while strolling up and down broadway and observing the strange northern sights but in the end a change came and not for the better the uncle had been cheerful at first but now he began to look troubled and despondent moreover he became moody and irritable talked of money giving out and no way to get more not enough left for one let alone two then one morning he was missing did not come to breakfast the boy inquired at the office and was told that the uncle had paid his bill the night before and gone away to boston the clerk believed but was not certain the lad was alone and friendless he did not know what to do but concluded he had better try to follow and find his uncle he went down to the steamboat landing learned that the trifle of money in his pocket would not carry him to boston however it would carry him to new london so he took passage for that port resolving to trust to providence to furnish him means to travel the rest of the way he had now been wandering about the streets of new london three days and nights getting a bite and a nap here and there for charity's sake but he had given up at last courage and hope were both gone if he could enlist nobody could be more thankful if he could not get in as a soldier couldn't he be a drummer boy ah he would work so hard to please and would be so grateful well there's the history of young wicklow just as he told it to me uh, barring details i said my boy you're among friends now don't you be troubled any more how his eyes glistened I called in Sergeant John Rayburn, he was from Hartford, lives in Hartford yet, maybe you know him, and said, Rayburn, quarter this boy with the musicians. I am going to enroll him as a drummer boy, and I want you to look after him and see that he is well treated. Well, of course, intercourse between the commandant of the post and the drummer boy came to an end now, but the poor little friendless chap lay heavy on my heart just the same. I kept on the lookout hoping to see him brighten up and begin to be cheery and gay but no the days went by and there was no change he associated with nobody he was always absent-minded always thinking his face was always sad one morning rayburn asked leave to speak to me privately said he i hope i don't offend sir but the truth is the musicians are in such a sweat it seems as if somebody's got to speak why what is the trouble it's the wicklow boy sir the musicians are down on him to an extent you can't imagine well go on go on what has he been doing praying sir praying yes sir 
the musicians haven't any peace of their life for the boys praying first thing in the morning he's at it noons he's at it and nights well nights he just lays on to em like all possessed sleep bless you they can't sleep he's got the floor as the saying is and then when he once gets his supplication mill a-goin there just simply ain't any let-up to him he starts in with the bandmaster and he prays for him next he takes the head bugler and he prays for him next the bass drum and he scoops him in and so on right straight through the band giving them all a show and taking that amount of interest in it which would make you think he thought he weren't but a little while for this world and believed he couldn't be happy in heaven without he had a brass band along and wanted to pick em out for himself so he could depend on em to do up the national tunes in a style suitin to the place well sir even boots at him don't have no effect it's dark in there and besides he don't pray fair anyway but kneels down behind the big drum so it don't make no difference if they rain boots at him he don't give a dern warbles right along same as if it was applause they sing out oh dry up give us a rest shoot him oh take a walk and all sorts of such things but what of it it don't faze him he don't mind it after a pause kind of a good little fool too gets up in the morning and carts all the stock of boots back and sorts em out and sets each man's pair where they belong and they've been throwed at him so much now that he knows every boot in the band can sort em out with his eyes shut after another pause which i forbore to interrupt but the roughest thing about it is that when he's done praying when he ever does get done he pipes up and begins to sing well you know what a honey kind of a voice he's got when he talks you know how it would persuade a cast-iron dog to come down off a doorstep and lick his hand now if you'll take my word for it sir it ain't the circumstance to his singing flute music is harsh to that boy's singing oh he just gurgles it out so soft and sweet and low there in the dark that it makes you think you are in heaven what is there rough about that ah that's just it sir you hear him saying just as i am poor wretched blind and just you hear him sing that once and see if you don't melt all up and the water come into your eyes i don't care what he sings it goes plumb straight home to you it goes deep down to where you live and it fetches you every time and just you hear him sing child of sin and sorrow filled with dismay wait not till to-morrow yield thee to-day grieve not that love which from above and so on it makes a body feel like the wickedest ungratefulest brute that walks and when he sings them songs of his about home and mother and childhood and old memories and things that's vanished and old friends dead and gone it fetches everything before your face that you ever lost in all of your life and it's just beautiful it's just divine to listen to sir but lord lord the heartbreak of it the band well they all cry every rascal of them blubbers and don't try to hide it either and first you know that very gang that's been slamming boots at that boy will skip out of their bunks all of a sudden and rush over in the dark and hug him yes they do and slobber all over him and call him pet names and beg him to forgive them and just at that time 
if a regiment was to offer to hurt a hair of that cub's head they'd go for that regiment if it was a whole army corps another pause is that all said i yes sir well dear me what is the complaint what do they want done done why bless you sir they want you to stop him from singing what an idea you said his music was divine that's just it it's too divine mortal man can't stand it it stirs a body up so it turns a body inside out it racks his feelings all to rags it makes him feel bad and wicked and not fit for any place but perdition it keeps a body in such an everlasting state of repentin that nothing don't taste good and there ain't no comfort in life and then the crying you see every morning they're ashamed to look one another in the face well this is an odd case and a singular complaint so they really want the singing stopped yes sir that is the idea now, they don't wish to ask too much they would like powerful well to have the praying shut down on or leastways trimmed off around the edges but the main thing's the singing if they can only get the singing choked off they think they can stand the praying rough as it is to be bully-ragged so much that way i told the sergeant i would take the matter under consideration that night i crept into the musicians quarters and listened the sergeant had not overstated the case i heard the praying voice pleading in the dark i heard the execrations of the harassed men i heard the rain of boots whiz through the air and bang and thump around the big drum the next thing touched me but it amused me too by and by after an impressive silence came the singing lord the pathos of it the enchantment of it nothing in the world was ever so sweet so gracious so tender so holy so moving i made my stay very brief i was beginning to experience emotions of a sort not proper to the commandant of a fortress next day i issued orders which stopped the praying and singing then followed three or four days which were so full of bounty-jumping excitements and irritations that i never once thought of my drummer boy but now comes sergeant rayburn one morning and says that new boy acts mighty strange sir how well sir he's all the time writing writing what does he write letters i don't know sir but whenever he's off duty he's poking and nosing around the fort all by himself blast if i can think there's a hole or corner in it he hasn't been into and every little while he outs with pencil and paper and scribbles something down this gave me a most unpleasant sensation i wanted to scoff at it but it was not a time to scoff at anything that had the least suspicious tinge about it things were happening all around us in the north then that warned us to be always on the alert and always suspecting i recall to mind the suggestive fact that this boy was from the south the extreme south louisiana and the thought was not of a reassuring nature under the circumstances nevertheless it cost me a pang to give the orders which i now gave to rayburn i felt like a father who plots to expose his own child to shame and injury i told rayburn to keep quiet bide his time and get me some of those writings whenever he could manage it without the boys finding it out and i charged him not to do anything which might let the boy discover that he was being watched i also ordered that he allow the lad his usual liberties 
but that he be followed at a distance when he went out into the town during the next two days rayburn reported to me several times no success the boy was still writing but he always pocketed his paper with a careless air whenever rayburn appeared in his vicinity he had gone twice to an old deserted stable in the town remained a minute or two and come out again one could not pooh-pooh these things they had an evil look i was obliged to confess to myself that i was getting uneasy i went into my private quarters and sent for my second-in-command an officer of intelligence and judgment son of general james watson webb he was surprised and troubled we had a long talk over the matter and came to the conclusion that it would be worth while to institute a secret search i determined to take charge of that myself so i had myself called at two in the morning and pretty soon after i was in the musician's quarters crawling along the floor on my stomach among them snorers i reached my slumbering waif's bunk at last without disturbing anybody captured his clothes and kit and crawled stealthily back again when i got to my own quarters i found webb there waiting and eager to know the result we made search immediately the clothes were a disappointment in the pockets we found blank paper and pencil nothing else except a jackknife and such queer odds and ends and useless trifles as boys hoard and value we turned to the kit hopefully nothing there but a rebuke for us a little bible with this written on the fly-leaf stranger be kind to my boy for his mother's sake i looked at webb he dropped his eyes he looked at me i dropped mine neither spoke i put the book reverently back in its place presently webb got up and went away without remark after a little i nerved myself up to my unpalatable job and took the plunder back to where it belonged crawling on my stomach as before it seemed the peculiarly appropriate attitude for the business i was in i was most honestly glad when it was over and done with about noon the next day rayburn came as usual to report i cut him short i said let this nonsense be dropped we are making a bugaboo out of a poor little cub who has got no more harm in him than a hymn-book the sergeant looked surprised and said well you know it was your orders sir and i've got some of the writing and what does it amount to how did you get it i peeped through the keyhole and see him writing so when i judged he was about done i made a sort of a little cough and i see him crumple it up and throw it in the fire and look all around to see if anybody was coming then he settled back as comfortable and careless as anything then i comes in and passes the time of day pleasantly and sends him on an errand he never looked uneasy but went right along it was a coal fire and new built the writing had gone over behind a chunk out of sight but i got it out and there it is it ain't hardly scorched you see i glanced at the paper and took in a sentence or two then i dismissed the sergeant and told him to send webb to me here is the paper in full fort trumbull the eighth colonel i was mistaken as to the caliber of the three guns i ended my list with they are eighteen-pounders all the rest of the armament is as i stated the garrison remains as before reported except that the two light infantry companies that were to be detached for service at the front are to stay here for the present can't find out for how long just now but will soon 
we are satisfied that all things considered matters had better be postponed and there it broke off there is where rayburn coughed and interrupted the writer all my affection for the boy all my respect for him and charity for his forlorn condition withered in a moment under the blight of this revelation of cold-blooded baseness but never mind about that here was business business that required profound and immediate attention too webb and i turned the subject over and over and examined it all around webb said what a pity he was interrupted something is going to be postponed until when and what is the something possibly he would have mentioned it the pious little reptile yes i said we have missed a trick and who is we in the letter is it conspirators inside the fort or outside that we was uncomfortably suggestive however it was not worth while to be guessing around that so we proceeded to matters more practical in the first place we decided to double the sentries and keep the strictest possible watch next we thought of calling wicklow in and making him divulge everything but that did not seem wisest until other methods should fail we must have some more of the writings so we began to plan to that end and now we had an idea wicklow never went to the post office perhaps the deserted stable was his post office we sent for my confidential clerk a young german named stern who was a sort of natural detective and told him all about the case and ordered him to go to work on it within the hour we got word that wicklow was writing again shortly afterward word came that he had asked to leave to go out into the town he was detained a while and meantime stern hurried off and concealed himself in the stable by and by he saw wicklow saunter in look about him then hide something under some rubbish in a corner and take leisurely leave again stern pounced upon the hidden article a letter and brought it to us it had no superscription and no signature it repeated what we had already read and then went on to say we think it best to postpone till the two companies are gone i mean the four inside think so have not communicated with the others afraid of attracting attention i say four because we have lost two they had hardly enlisted and got inside when they were shipped off to the front it will be absolutely necessary to have two in their places the two that went were the brothers from thirty mile point i have something of the greatest importance to reveal but must not trust it to this method of communication we'll try the other the little scoundrel said webb who could have supposed he was a spy however never mind about that let us add up our particulars such as they are and see how the case stands to date first we've got a rebel spy in our midst whom we know secondly we've got three more in our midst whom we don't know thirdly these spies have been introduced among us through the simple and easy process of enlisting as soldiers in the union army and evidently two of them have got sold at it and been shipped off to the front fourthly there are assistant spies outside number indefinite fifthly wicklow has very important matter which he is afraid to communicate by the present method will try the other that is the case as it now stands shall we collar wicklow and make him confess or shall we catch the person who removes the letters from the stable and make him tell 
or shall we keep still and find out more we decided upon the last course we judged that we did not need to proceed to summary measure now since it was evident that the conspirators were likely to wait till those two light infantry companies were out of the way we fortified stern with pretty ample powers and told him to use his best endeavors to find out wicklow's other method of communication we meant to play a bold game and to this end we proposed to keep the spies in an unsuspecting state as long as possible so we ordered stern to return to the stable immediately and if he found the coast clear to conceal wicklow's letter where it was before and leave it there for the conspirators to get the night closed down without further event it was cold and dark and sleety with a raw wind blowing still i turned out of my warm bed several times during the night and went the rounds in person to see that all was right and that every sentry was on the alert i always found them wide awake and watchful evidently whispers of mysterious dangers had been floating about and the doubling of the guards had been a kind of endorsement of those rumors once toward morning i encountered webb breasting his way against the bitter wind and learned then that he also had been the rounds several times to see that all was going right next day's events hurried things up somewhat wicklow wrote another letter stern preceded him to the stable and saw him deposit it captured it as soon as wicklow was out of the way then slipped out and followed the little spy at a distance with a detective in plain clothes at his own heels for we thought it judicious to have the law's assistance handy in case of need wicklow went to the railroad station and waited around till the train from new york came in then stood scanning the faces of the crowd as they poured out of the cars presently an aged gentleman with green goggles and a cane came limping along stopped in wicklow's neighborhood and began to look about him expectantly in an instant wicklow darted forward thrust an envelope into his hand then glided away and disappeared in the throng the next instant stern had snatched the letter and as he hurried past the detective he said follow the old gentleman don't lose sight of him then stern scurried out with the crowd and came straight to the fort we sat with closed door and instructed the guard outside to allow no interruption first we opened the letter captured at the stable it read as follows holy alliance found in the usual gun commands from the master left there last night which set aside the instructions heretofore received from the subordinate quarter have left in the gun the usual indication that the commands reach the proper hand webb interrupting isn't the boy under constant surveillance now i said yes he had been under strict surveillance ever since the capturing of his former letter then how could he put anything into a gun or take anything out of it and not get caught well i said i don't like the look of that very well i don't either said webb it simply means that there are conspirators among the very sentinels without their connivance in some way or other the thing couldn't have been done i sent for rayburn and ordered him to examine the batteries and see what he could find the reading of the letter was then resumed the new commands are peremptory and require that the m m m m shall be f f f f f at three o'clock tomorrow morning two hundred will arrive in small parties by train and otherwise from various directions and will be at appointed place at right time i will distribute the sign today 
success is apparently sure though something must have got out for the sentries have been doubled and the chiefs went the rounds last night several times w w comes from southerly today and will receive secret orders by the other method all six of you must be in one six six at sharp two a m you will find e b there who will give you detailed instructions password same as last time only reversed put first syllable last and last syllable first remember x x x x do not forget be of good heart before the next sun rises you will be heroes your fame will be permanent you will have added a deathless page to history amen thunder and mars said webb but we are getting into mighty hot quarters as i look at it i said there was no question but that things were beginning to wear a most serious aspect said i a desperate enterprise is on foot that is plain enough to-night is the time set for that also is plain the exact nature of the enterprise i mean the manner of it is hidden away under those blind bunches of m's and f's but the end and aim i judge is the surprise and capture of the post we must move quick and sharp now i think nothing can be gained by continuing our clandestine policy as regards wicklow we must know and as soon as possible too where one six six is located so that we can make a descent upon the gang there at two a m and doubtless the quickest way to get that information will be to force it out of that boy but first of all and before we make any important move i must lay the facts before the war department and ask for plenary powers the despatch was prepared in cipher to go over the wires i read it approved it and sent it along we presently finished discussing the letter which was under consideration and then opened the one which had been snatched from the lame gentleman it contained nothing but a couple of perfectly blank sheets of note paper it was a chilly check to our hot eagerness and expectancy we felt as blank as the paper for a moment and twice as foolish but it was for a moment only for of course we immediately afterward thought of sympathetic ink we held the paper close to the fire and watched for the characters to come out under the influence of the heat but nothing appeared but some faint tracings which we could make nothing of we then called in the surgeon and sent him off with orders to apply every test he was acquainted with till he got the right one and report the contents of the letter to me the instant he brought them to the surface this check was a confounded annoyance and we naturally chafed under the delay for we had fully expected to get out of that letter some of the most important secrets of the plot now appeared sergeant rayburn and drew from his pocket a piece of twine string about a foot long with three knots tied in it and held it up i got it out of a gun on the waterfront said he i took the tompions out of all the guns and examined close this string was the only thing that was in any gun so this bit of string was wicklow's sign to signify that the master's commands had not miscarried i ordered that every sentinel who had served near that gun during the past twenty-four hours be put in confinement at once and separately and not allowed to communicate with anyone without my privity and consent a telegram now came from the secretary of war it read as follows suspend habeas corpus put town under martial law make necessary arrests act with vigor and promptness keep the department informed 
we were now in a shape to go to work i sent out and had the lame gentleman quietly arrested and as quickly brought into the fort i placed him under arrest and forbade speech to him or from him he was inclined to bluster at first but he soon dropped that next came word that wicklow had been seen to give something to a couple of our new recruits and that as soon as his back was turned these had been seized and confined upon each was found a small bit of paper bearing these words and signs in pencil eagles third flight remember x x x x one sixty six end of part one of a curious experience by mark twain